Welcome to Packed Up here on Blaze Radio and Blaze Radio online.com packed up is your home for everything pack 12 news sports and entertainment my name is jacob jones i'm here with my co-host kenjito afternoon kenji uh i'm doing uh i'm doing pretty good how are you i'm good man it's another exciting week of pack 12 football hope all these sports are starting to kind of get back to the groove it's good to have yeah. pack 12 sports back now yeah, instead of just uh football you know basketball is now heating up all the stuff with uh, women Yama in the uh, G League, so I feel like sports itself is really mm-hmm. ramping up, which is a lot of fun. Yeah, women's soccer, volleyball. Absolutely. Um, all, all the sports. I feel like all the sports are really getting ready to Take get, off. get back in the groove, which is like where it's supposed to be, mm-hmm. which yeah. is super cool. So I'm excited. But with that being said, let's hop right into the news. And big news story coming out of the Pac-12 is the respect I think that's the right word to use for it is respect because the PAC 12 for years. And we both know as fans of PAC 12 schools have been disrespected as, you know, the power five of being a power five conference, but having no real contenders. Yeah. You had Oregon and yeah, you had Washington and at times you had USC and Utah and Utah, but you could never really get over the hump, but it looks like the PAC 12 right now is in a very good position. They have five ranked AP top 25 teams Mm -hmm. as of, week six and yeah. uh end of this college football season yeah which is pretty unbelievable so great start for the pac-12 yeah it's it's a good sign especially with all the stuff that's been going on with the pac-12 obviously uh, we're no stranger to the moves and decisions that were made in the offseason with the uh, teams like usc and ucla and then obviously teams like oregon and utah being recruited by the big big 12 mm-hmm. and so Obviously, there's a lot going on, but this is a good sign for the Pac-12 that maybe they can make a push to get contending schools in, to keep the schools that aren't gone yet. Granted, you probably won't save USC and UCLA, but you got five teams who are ranked. The only team higher that has more teams in the top 25 is the SEC. SEC. Yeah. And that's a great sign. Yeah, we arguably know that the SEC is the best conference. Absolutely. No matter what. Oh, it always been. But, like, I think my, my bad. But my one take about this, like like I said, it's just very interesting to see that there are five teams. But I also feel like that they are trying their best to represent the Pac-12 before it goes under. Sure. Like people, like people already know that USC and UCLA are moving to the Big Ten. It is rumored that the Pac-12 will destroy as a whole, and teams will. Uh, all the teams except two will go to the Big 12, and the two like really bad schools like Colorado and I think Cal or something like that, mm-hmm. they'll move to the Mountain West or something. Sure. So, like I feel like the Pac-12 and especially the commissioner, you know, this commissioner's new. Mm-hmm. I feel like he feels disrespected in a way, and we're like, you know, we're going to push the Pac-12 what it used to be. Yeah. The Pac-12 used to be the conference of champions. You know, oh, yeah, that's slogan. I know it's cheesy, but in a way, it's true is because Pac 12 has most champion championships throughout all of their sports. Oh, yeah, not just football. You know, Stanford is a powerhouse in water polo, but I could go on and on and on. You know? Sure. And the Pac 12 itself is a very good conference in terms of athletics. That's mm-hmm. you know, they pride themselves on being the pack and the conference of champions. It's on the, the billboards and uh, the Bill Walton memes. and and everything you name it i mean when you think pac-12 and you think that or pac-12 after dark right yeah exactly. so it's it's everything with that but 
it's a good sign, especially with a struggling conference for, for a few years now. Yeah, for sure. And being looked down, even though you have a lot of good contending teams. I look at a conference like the ACC. ACC, granted, they have contenders like Clemson every year. and But away from Clemson and maybe the, occasion, the occasional Miami and Wake Forest and other and, yeah, and, and, NC State yeah. occasionally. So every team is really occasional. And I think the Pac-12 is the same way, where USC has been occasional every year. Occasionally, they get eight or nine wins, but then they go on a four-win season. So it's very up and down. USC obviously this year looking very good so far, being in the uh, being at the number six spot in the AP poll. And speaking of the spotting of Pac-12 teams, USC, like I said, is at number six in the country. Utah moved up a spot to number 11. Oregon moved up a spot to number 12. So we have 11 and 12 right next to each other in the Pac-12. UCLA made an appearance yeah, in top 25 at number 18 after beating Washington, Washington, who will take on Arizona State this weekend at, in Tempe. And Washington State is at number 21, which yeah. is not that bad. I think it's fair. It's, I, yeah, I, I do think it's fair. It's a, it was a tough, close matchup between the two. And I think UCLA is also earning their flowers. They're like, look, we're 5-0. and We've earned these games. where We can prove that we can beat good teams. So a lot of credit to UCLA on that. And then uh, Washington at number 21, like we were saying, but then Washington State as well, yeah. trying to earn its flowers as well. Yeah, I think they were. I think they received like ninety-one votes. I think I saw earlier on Twitter. You know. Yeah. Um, and that's that's very impressive for an unranked team. You know, there's there's like I don't know the exact numbers, but there's easily over a hundred hundred voters for this AP poll. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, I mean, generally speaking, I think Washington State's probably one big win away from, or maybe just a maybe a winning granted yeah. away from mm-hmm. getting into the top twenty-five. Because Washington State has been proving themselves as that team to look out for. They have a big challenge this week when they play USC. We'll get more into matchups later in the show. But you know, Washington State's going to have a good challenge and good, you know, but they've been able to show themselves as well. So obviously a very good start for the Pac-12, but I think it's a good sign, like we were saying, just in terms of being able to command the conferences, right? And that's the big thing for the Pac-12, of keep your relevancy, because when USC and UCLA leave, those, those are two big LA markets that are getting ready to leave the Pac-12. Yeah. So there's been some talks that UCLA may stay in the Pac-12, that you know UCLA wasn't the biggest fan of the move and they only moved because of USC's move. Like because it's a huge rivalry. Yeah, and so I, it'd be hard to really break up the rivalry. You know, granted you could do what Utah and BYU do, and that, play non-conference, would, play the that would be exciting. the Holy War, and just I think it would be more competitive too. I think it. I think it would be playing in two different conferences. It, there'd be maybe not as much on the line, not as much to, you know, I guess play for. It's a robbery though, so it's not. I can't. Yeah. I guess it's not fair to say that because, I mean, every team has something to play for. Yeah, they 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 still get a trophy, but I think like the bigger thing that's been happening in the Pac-12 though, kind of kind of moving on, is that they're like like these people are already here, but they they're known for producing great athletes. For example. Utah cornerback Clark Phillips III. Oh, yeah. Uh, he had three interceptions against, uh, I forgot who it was. I think it was against Oregon State. And yeah. He had yeah, three yeah. interceptions against Oregon State, and one of them was a pick six. And this is an unbelievable performance. You rarely see this in college football. You rarely see this in the NFL at all. Yeah. Like, so that's a great like 
starting thing for his career, first of all, mm-hmm. and great representation in the Pac-12. Yeah. And then, like, we can talk about Clark Phillips all we want, but I think who had a better performance, I don't like to say this, but UCLA quarterback Dorian Thompson-Robinson. It's just a fact. He yeah. had 315 yards, four total touchdowns, and 53 yards on the ground. Yeah, give credit, a lot of credit to him. He's been showing himself this, yeah. this big comeback year. That's what I've been hearing a lot exactly. at UCLA, is this is the comeback year, the, the year that we really take the next step, of that we've been close and we've been ranked, and then we lose to the Arizona State, and then we follow the rankings, and then we do this, and then we do that, and then, ah, it's just not, never worked out it's for like, them. It's like a repetition with UCLA. But, like, seeing what DTR did to, like, Washington, and, you know, we can give them all the credit we want, but it's a team game, the defense really – really stepped up in the big moments in that matchup. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously the receivers in Chase Cotta and uh, and I – oh, no. Chase Cotta is not at UCLA anymore. No, not yet, no. Oh, I guess he – because he graduated. But. Yeah, Chase Cotta is actually at Oregon now. My bad. But – Oh, that's right. He's a mm-hmm. – yeah, that transfer portal just <laughs> screws me up. It's yeah. It was such a crazy offseason. It, it messes all of us up. But, like, I mean, you got to give credit to everyone else supporting him, too. But my overall thoughts on DTR so far is that he's raising his draft stock. Oh, yeah. To be a very, like, a very good quarterback. You know, I expect him to come out, come out to the draft class uh, for this upcoming draft. Um, and, you know, people said before the season, you're going to be taken at, like, fifth or sixth round. Mm-hmm. Well, with the performance he's doing and leading UCLA to five and zero, he can be possibly taken in the second or third. You know. Yeah, there's it's a lot possible. of there's been a lot of question marks around that, and I think it's it's all very fair. And I think he's proving his point extremely well of why he should get more respect and why I think UCLA should get more respect. Yeah. And I think they're you know obviously in their top twenty five right now, but like I was saying before, UCLA is in the program itself is in a phase of disrespect i think them the pac-12 have that in common where they're kind of look down of oh yeah that's ucla that's they play in the road they they borrow the rose bowl yeah they borrow the rose bowl that's that's one of the more common like slander terms for ucla but but they really are kind of building to their own team and i think dtr is a big reason for that like you're saying four total touchdowns three passing and he rushed one i think we all Saw that over over Twitter, have making the Washington players literally run into each other. Oh yeah, at the goal line. Yeah, I mean that, that, that that's was a the very most badass thing I've ever seen, like ever. Yeah, it was it was extremely extremely impressive. Yeah. Obviously, winning the uh, Maxwell Award Player of the Week mm-hmm. honors and Rose Bowl Game Pac-12 Player of the Week. Yeah. So a lot of credit to him, and I think UCLA is really on the right yeah. track. They're heading in the right direction, and then. And adding adding to like like what how can this help in the future of the program? Um, maybe they can get another star quarterback like he is. You know, that'd be nice. I think a depth. I mean, obviously would help. But I think UCLA right now is on yeah. is on the upswing. And I think hopefully, if they do choose to move on and go to the Big Ten Conference, it's totally up to them. I mean, they've made the decision. Obviously, there's you're allowed to back out. You're not in the Big Ten yet. Yeah, there's there's no, well. it's it's right now it's just commitment. Yeah, that's why we have this show. We so we see we see all the time the recruits, yeah. but uh one team that's really struggling right now and is 
shown it in their change in coaching staff is Colorado. Oh, so yeah. Colorado announced on Sunday that they were going to part ways with their head coach, Carl Doral, after almost two and a half seasons at the helm of Colorado. Not very long at all. And at the beginning of his tenure in the 2020 season, Colorado started 4-0. Yeah. So it looked like, oh, okay, Colorado's kind of try to, you know, stay competitive. They're going to try to, you know, they're going to, you know, go up and shock people, I guess. But then there's a slide. So Colorado has lost 15 of their last 19 games. They, I think they only won maybe a handful of maybe three or four games last year. Yeah. So Colorado, as they, uh, so offensive coordinator, Mike Sanford is going to take over as uh, interim head coach. Uh, Colorado's on a bye week this week, along with California. And so, but for Colorado, I know, I think it's very similar to what I'm seeing out of Arizona State, exactly. of just a program rebuild, getting back on the right track. And on this show, I've been talking about Colorado in terms of getting off the snide. I say it a lot, get your first win. You've got to get one under the books. Yeah. But sometimes when you have this streak and you have this, this dilemma of playing really poor football, there's something bigger going on. And obviously Colorado had to make the move and fire their head coach. I mean, that's just sometimes that's where the – road leads. I mean, we've seen many teams do it. Colorado's not the only team to fire their head coach after a few bad weeks, but still it's a Colorado's in a rough position right now. It's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see how they claw themselves out. Yeah. Like, and also like to add on to your point, I don't think it necessarily helps that not only is your team playing bad, but you're facing good opponents. You know, Mm -hmm. you played U of A. So on and off team, we'll get into that later. Yeah, you played UCLA. They're proving themselves. Mm-hmm. Minnesota is very surprising in the Big Ten this year, and you had to play TCU, who's now ranked 17th in the country. Yeah, no, and now granted, their wins and their losses, I should say, have come against really good teams. Yeah, and so Colorado's really had to prove themselves. You know, every team that they've—it's like in a way they kind of have to upset each opponent right. and shock the world every single time. Because now four of their last five teams are all in the top 25 right now. So you look at the road that Colorado has been taking is that, man, these are teams that are very, very competitive, yeah. but Colorado also, have, also has to be in that spot where can you hang with the teams yeah. and, Colorado, and Colorado hasn't been close at, yeah. at this point being blown out by 20 or 30 points every game. Yeah. And the schedule doesn't get easier like at all. They play Cal, Colorado, ASU, Oregon, USC. Like, I mean, this schedule is just unbelievable. They might like, like we've said on the show before, they might go winless. But here's the thing, though. I'm a, like, you did mention that they had a 4 0 start in 2020. The only reason why I think that happened is because they, I think abused is the wrong word, but abused their stars. You know, they had Derek Brochard, who was a Pac 12 offensive player of the year, great running back out of Colorado. I don't know where he is now. He might be in the NFL, but he, he was great at Colorado. Mm-hmm. And they also had Brendan Rice, who's now at USC. He was a Pac-12 freshman offensive player of the year. Honorable mention. Yeah. You know? Like, I mean, you have those two guys, one one who's a big body and one who's very shifty. I mean, you can run through run through them and win ball games. And necessarily they don't have that anymore, right? Yeah, no, most definitely. Colorado's, like I've been saying, is in a spot of I don't think it's fair to say no return. Yeah. Right. I mean, right now it looks like a very rough stage. Because yeah. granted it is. It's you haven't won a game in 
I think right now it's been quite a long time. And so Colorado right now, it's more of, I don't, I also don't think it's fair to call it panicking. I don't want to say any team is panicky right now. Every, but Colorado feels like, it feels like in a spot that they're, they're just desperate to get anything on the board right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, Colorado right now is just hoping that, well, how do we just get some respect? How do we have our opponents not just totally looking down on us every time we play? I think it's just setting the tone. When you have a new head coach, obviously Carl Doral is, is gone and uh, Mike Sanford is going to have to lead the charge now. But how do you really set the new tone? Yeah. It's a new program, you know? It's like, you know, I go back to Arizona State from Edwards was fired after the week three loss to Eastern Michigan. And Sean Aguano comes in. And you have to, you have to just have to change up the program. So maybe it's little things, right? And so we had to see what Colorado does with the opportunity and see what they they have to do now, yeah. right? Yeah, but well, uh, oh, go ahead. But yeah, but last thing on Colorado is just you know kind of finding your way now, and that's going to be a tough part for them. Is can you find your way? And if they can, then good for them. Yeah, like my la- my last remark about this Colorado situation is that you know you obviously fired your head coach. You probably had a lot of hope for hope for this guy. But I mean, you got to find another coach that has the right persona to lead a team, you know, and who do I think would be perfect? It's probably not going to happen because of his demands. Jackson State head coach, Deion Sanders. Ooh, that's going to bring that's in, interesting. That's going to bring in a ton of recruits because it's Deion Sanders, one of all, first of all, like Jackson State, like going out of conference here. Mm-hmm. They got Travis Hunter for crying out loud, who was committed to Florida State for the longest time. Sure. So it's going to bring a lot of recruits. He has a great energetic personality and he knows how to win. You know, like he obviously played football all his life and that, and obviously we see that it translated over to the coaching field, mm-hmm. you know? So I think that would be the right move, but because of his demand, I think that it's not going to happen and he's going to go to like an ACC school or like, or a big 10 school like Nebraska or something. Yeah. I've heard a lot about Deion Sanders and especially around the Valley of, whether or not he'll make the trip out to, you know, and be considered for the Arizona State job. Yeah. But right now for Dion, you know, Dion really joined into the coaching kind of era because of the fact that he just wanted to coach again. Yeah. He wanted to lead a small school. I've seen Jackson State. They've been very successful so far. Yeah, I think they're undefeated still. Yeah, you know, they've been a very successful program ever since he got there. So I'm seeing a lot of credit to him. He's, you know, you're doing you're doing something right. Yeah. If you got if you got these kids motivated. But you know, I think it, the real question is, you know, are you going to be Confident. really in the right position to lead a team like Colorado, yeah. who's not in a good situation? And we've seen this, but I think the standard that Deion Sanders holds his players to would work perfectly at Colorado. It worked perfectly at a lot of programs, but especially Colorado. I think, I don't know, I can, I can just see Deion Sanders in that mountain air. I don't know why. And he just, he looks, he looked good in a Colorado polo. So it's obviously up for grabs right now. It's Tough to tell, as I think everything is right now. As uh, actually I actually have a quick MLB update as the MLB postseason, a little off track, but the the uh, Mariners are leading three nothing on the Blue Jays. So, yeah, that's great. so congrats to the team that hasn't been in the playoffs for since two thousand one. That's a little shout out to Jake Brown, a big Mariners fan. Yeah. Uh, another news story coming out of the Pac twelve. Uh, two USC legends. Oh, uh, actually, I have. Uh, it's it's. I think it's or it's uh, USC in Washington. Yeah, USC in Washington. As yeah. uh, USC legend Marvin Powell, should I say, passed away this week. And then Rick Redmond, 
um, University of Washington legend and uh, was inducted into their Hall of Fame in 1995, passed away earlier this week. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, very, it's a very sad time, but, you know, like, you know, life, life is long, but it can also be, like, be short, you know, and these guys lived a long life and a great life, probably, you know, they got to play football and they got to enjoy the rest of their life, whatever they did, you know. Absolutely, and hopefully the team will play in their, their honor as both teams are in the top 25. Yeah, exactly. Both teams are playing very well at the moment, so yeah. let's see. But as we go into the later half of the show, we go into into the pack and talk about the games coming up this week. We'll start with number 11 Utah travels to the Rose Bowl to play the undefeated number 18 ranked UCLA Bruins. Yeah, this is this is honestly a game of game of the day, I guess, because most definitely. Game, I'm going to say game of the day since the majority of college games are on on mm. Saturday, but this is an this is a exciting matchup that people should look out for because Utah is obviously Utah. They're running through the offense, the defense is and and UCLA is really surprising. And plus, if Utah wins, it breaks UCLA's undefeated streak. Yeah, and so I've been talking about most of the show of that UCLA really trying to find their respect. Mm-hmm. If you want to find it, here it is. Yeah, this is one, the game to do it. One, you're uh, <laughs> you can go um, six and zero. Are you bowl eligible? Right, so you're in. Obviously, their their hopes and their aspirations are a lot higher than just six wins, but it's a big deal. And but they're also looking for their first win over Utah since 2015. They haven't beaten Utah in the Rose Bowl since 2012. And so, like we have seen with the home field, it's you kind of have to really play it by ear, right? You really just play it by kind of the moment. And I think that's what UCLA does very well of being able to adapt. Obviously, we've seen, we've talked about on the show, the the tarps over the bleachers at the Rose Bowl mm-hmm. of, you know, do they really have a home field advantage? But I'll tell you what, the Rose Bowl crowd against Washington was pretty good. was extremely hyped up. Yeah. And hopefully, if, you know, you're UCLA, you're in a position that you can – Maybe take some of those tarp those tarps off. Yeah, you know you're you're top twenty five. You know it's a, it's not a very good look to have a top twenty five team have. Yeah. And it's a top twenty five matchup too, so that's even absolutely. Bigger. So it's gonna be a fun game to see kind of how UCLA comes out. That's kind of that's what I'm really looking for. How do you come out? You know, do you come out blazing? Do you come out? You know, you have to set a good tempo. Once you get out there, you know who knows. But you're also facing a very good Utah team. Utah team. Yeah, and. They have a pretty big challenge on their hands. Yeah, like, I mean, I think the main thing with the attendance, like, and this is the only thing I'll mention on today's show about the attendances, but, like, I mean, if you're projected to have a low start, obviously fans are not going to show up, you know? Like, no one wants, no one necessarily wants to watch a losing football program, especially at the college level. Like, NFL, it's, it's kind of, it's like people can watch, people can watch losing teams, but in mm-hmm. the NFL, it's a, totally different landscape sure you know but since ucla is having the success people are like wow ucla is like better than i thought yeah i'm gonna check out a game oh they just beat washington i'm i'm gonna invite all my friends over now and we're gonna come watch the ucla game at the rose bowl and you know the rose bowl is a fantastic stadium like and it's also like a part of history too so it's like it's like what a great experience you can have. Sure. But, like I'm kind of go kind of go off about UCLA is that 
I'm going to give like a how-to to Utah, you know, like how, how can UCLA beat Utah? And obviously we'll get into predictions later, but I think this is a crucial, crucial factor point. The only thing you, uh, UCLA needs to do is contain Cam Rising and their running back, Tavion Thomas, and their one and their tight end, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's the biggest thing because that's who the offense runs through. But UCLA standards, they need to run through Zach Charbonnet and DTR because, first of all, Zach Charbonnet is a very aggressive runner, and DTR is a scrambling quarterback, and we know, as fans how Utah does against scrambling quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. They cannot contain, they cannot tackle for some apparent reason. And I feel like every quarterback run that Utah gives up, it's at least 15 yards, Yeah, you know? Like a perfect example is that week one matchup against Anthony Richardson. Anthony Richardson is a mid quarterback, mid, but they made him look like a superstar for crying out loud. Yeah. So if, UCLA kind of goes with the same mindset and strategy as Florida did. UCLA could pull off the upset. Yeah, and so I think with UCLA, like you mentioned, of really taking advantage of the running game of DTR. Like you were saying with Utah's running defense, Utah's, Utah's had, had a oh, excuse me, Utah's had a very tough time really covering and adapting to the running quarterback style. Mm-hmm. You know, Utah has a system that is very that's meant for the long passes. You know, and being DBU and really getting the, the SWAT team yeah. out there, I guess you could say. But I think UCLA has that advantage in this matchup of that you're able to roll out DTR and you're able to really expand his offensive game. But I think that's really the that's the big question for me is that if they contain DTR, then there's there's almost no shot. Exactly. But let's say you go out, we go out, and you know UCLA sets the tone early and he's running like crazy, then the game could be over really quickly. So it's a double-edged sword for a team like Utah. And what I'm looking for Utah in this game is how do you really not only set the tone, but get Cam Rising comfortable. Because once you do, and once he's comfortable, we saw it in that matchup. Obviously I was at the game where they played uh, Arizona State here in Tempe. And once Cam Rising got comfortable in the offense, started making a few passes, he was he was unstoppable. It was pass after pass after pass, and no one could yeah. stop him. And it also felt like completion after completion too. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like he like he could not miss. You know, it was kind of like watching, like, like, and this is kind of an interesting take I have here. But Cam Rising reminds me of a lot of Cam Newton. You know. Hmm. He's a very hard thrower, but a very accurate thrower. Cam sure. Newton in college, for example, not in the NFL, right? But also, Cam Rising also puts his body on the line. You know, yeah, he's going to run those power. He's going to run those power plays. He's going. He's going to kind of fake a power play and then toss it off to his tight end or running back. You know. Yeah. So, like, I, I see the resemblance there, but like you said, I think you hit the most important point about Utah is that once Cam Rising gets going, it's like he's hot and no one can stop him. Not like not even not even like a top five team could stop him. Yeah, well, there's just no stopping him when he gets comfortable. Uh-huh. You know, once he gets in the pocket and once he's able to, you know, find his guys, then there's really no stopping him there. And that's what that's what I'm looking for UCLA to really control. 
of can you control and also can you control the line of scrimmage of granted utah doesn't have the greatest run game yeah. but you know they have you know speed burners on that team exactly. and so if they can really get a get a few good runs and start taking over the game this game could be over quickly but i'm looking for ucla ready to hold their own and they've been able to hold their own really you know very well already this year so excited to see this matchup obviously we'll get in predictions later but it's gonna be a fun matchup and it'll be a fun game for a pac-12 fans to see but our next game right around the road at sendable stadium in tempe number 21 washington huskies come visit the arizona state sun devils the Four and one versus one and four, one and one conference versus zero oh and two in conference. Yeah, it's a interesting matchup for the Sun Devils, where it's I wouldn't exactly call it a must win, but because obviously I don't think Arizona State is in a position to really do anything this year. Mm-hmm. But I think in just terms of getting a win under your belt, you know, you haven't beaten a team since you got since we or since Arizona State beat NAU yeah. in Week One, and you know four straight losses. So I think just getting back on the board and getting and being able to get comfortable. But then you got Washington. Washington is, you know, looking for their first road win in Tempe since 2001, yeah. when Rick Neuenheisel was there was their coach for crying out loud. So yeah, that's a long time. Yeah, they have they have a lot to play for. But yeah. what Arizona State's going to have to really hold down is Michael Penix. Mm-hmm, yeah, sure. he already has a career high in passing yards and passing touchdowns, and he's and he's leading college football in yards per game almost 400 total 400 total yards in all five games this year already so you talk about dominant you know that's the big question for me how does arizona state really handle the uh passing offense of uh the huskies that's gonna be the big question whether or not arizona state can just stay competitive in this game not even not even you know win or lose at this point just stay competitive stay in these games that's the big question for me so far. It's interesting to see what Arizona State does with it. Yeah, I think like you know, it's kind of it's kind of going back to what I was saying about I, I forgot who, but I was talking. It was like it shouldn't just be focused on all the quarterbacks because you know your receivers and running backs and et cetera do so much work. You know, like you got you got to give credit to Jalen Polk, who's only a freshman for crying out loud. Jalen McMillan, Giles Jackson, and Rome Aduzin, I think that's how you pronounce his name. Mm-hmm. Like every time I check Washington's stats, they have like over a hundred yards, which is unbelievable. And they also have this running back who is also very good at what he does. Wayne Talupapa, I think that's how you pronounce his name. You know, all those guys are like a well-oiled machine. They work perfectly with one another. Mm-hmm. And that Michael Penix is a scrambling quarterback as well. It makes it makes the machine work more well. I think that's what. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. But my thing about ASU, and I've noticed that especially in the USC ASU game, is that Kyle Soley seems like the only person on defense up there, mm-hmm. and they need to realize that there's 11 people on the on the playing field, right? And not one guy can do it by himself. Yeah. And I feel like. Like, yeah, Kyle Soli can be taken in the draft pretty high. Not like first or second round, but maybe like early third. But, I mean, you got to feel bad for the guy because he's making all the tackles. Yeah, and you had a great point about, you know, Kyle Soli and the, the uh, ASU defense. Of ASU is in a really weird position already this year. Mm-hmm. I've obviously talked about previous show of um, firing Herm Edwards, whatever. You know, they just use a different term 
for the relinquishment, but you fired him. You relieved him of his duties. Mm-hmm. So now you're in here with Coach Iguano, which he just really can't find a groove yet. Granted, history is on Arizona State's side with this one. You have they have won seven straight home games against Washington. One one of them came when Washington was the number five team in the country. But Arizona State, like Colorado, has been through the ranked opponent part of the schedule. And it's, it's going to keep going. Oh, yeah, so sure. this is their third straight game against a ranked opponent. Yeah. And their fourth in the last five games. So you talk about a tough, you talk about a tough road yeah. for a team that's really trying to find their image. ASU probably has it the toughest. And ASU just can't get a break. Exactly. And so, you know, another tough opponent in Washington. And I think for ASU to not only you know, when we can talk about wins all we want, but just to succeed is Emory Jones. Mm-hmm. Is He looked really comfortable in the first half. Absolutely. And, you know, you were there. I'd actually like to get your opinion. You know, what did you see from, you know, you were at the game at the Coliseum last Saturday in mm-hmm. L.A. You know, what did, was there a difference in what you saw from Emory Jones last Saturday against USA? Yeah, I felt like that he was just comfortable. Like, I think my main thing about Emory Jones is that, like I've said before on the show, I've never played quarterback and I don't want to. <laughs> but, like, yeah, same here. Yeah. The main, the main thing is, like, you can't panic. Sure. If you panic, you lose games. You know? Sure. And he felt in the first half, per se, he looked so comfortable. Like, I mean, he was just kind of moving in the pocket, making throws with ease. You know, he was going through his progressions, checking down to, to a receiver if he was under pressure. I mean, he just looked like a completely different quarterback. Sure. Like, and it's like if if Emory can pull that again against Washington, it might be an upset alert, you know? Yeah, and you talked about it very well about making Emory comfortable. Mm-hmm. But I think it's also him just making the easy passes. I think in the uh, – watching the second half of that USC game, once, you know, USC really found out – ASU system because ASU has a very one-dimensional, two-dimensional yeah. offense. Yeah, they're so, pr- very predictable. So not one that's really going to surprise you with a yeah. big trick play here or a big, you know, surprise snap and then oh we run out to the left side for thirty or forty yards. Mm-hmm. You know, ASU is just really not in that position right now to be. Maybe they should be. You know, in a position to be trying things out. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a good time for it, but I think it's about making Emory comfortable with the offense. Yeah. You know, he's your lead man. There's been a lot of talk inside the, you know, ASU Athletic Association and even the student section of really calling for Paul Tyson. Uh, people are sick of Emory's inconsistency, yeah. his, de- his decisiveness of holding the ball for too long. Mm-hmm. And I think for Emory really to get back on the right track, he just has to trust himself. Can't, you know, make sure you can go and make the little play. You don't go for the 40-yard bomb. Don't go for the, yeah. the whatever, the kick return. Like yeah. you did when you tried to do against Utah a few weeks ago, just make the easy play. Because when we do that, then you can slow the game down, and that's how you beat. That's how you beat a team like Washington. You have to slow it down. You have to play at your pace, yeah. which for Arizona State right now is very slow and methodical. Not one that's going to be, you know, shove it down and, you know, get back into the drive that they were, in the Herm Edwards era. So it's a different feeling. It's a different vibe, right now. And I think Emory Jones just has to make sure he knows. Yeah, not only what he's doing, but 
make sure him and his receivers are all on the same page. Yeah, exactly. And that's what it's all about. But let's uh, move on to, uh, like, in a way, another game of the day, you know, Washington State at USC. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a great matchup. Oh, yeah. You know, Washington State's defense is tough. And USC's offense is overpowering in a way. How the how in the world is this matchup gonna go? Like you know, yeah, it, it's kind of like all up in the air right now. You know, it really is back and forth. It is. It's hard to tell with a team like Washington State, and we have, we've seen how dominant USC's offense can be. You know, USC's offense with Caleb Williams and granted, he only threw his first he only threw his first pick last week. Yeah. And uh, double coverage into the end zone, probably a ball that shouldn't have been thrown. Shouldn't have been thrown, and he just made probably made the wrong check down and probably made the wrong yeah. decision. And you probably just wanted to give it to Jordan. And saying. but we've seen, you know, the elusiveness of, you know, I think I saw three or four times yeah, him, him him getting out of sacks so that he was running ten yards past the line of scrimmage, mm-hmm. and then picking up a gain of 30, 40 yards. That's what Caleb Williams does so well. And so for a team, I'm for a team that I look at like Washington State, and you know, you kind of ask yourself, how does Washington State win this game? Mm-hmm. And for me, like I've said, it's not really about, you know, oh, how are we gonna win this game? It's probably like, how do I win this quarter? How do I win this half? How do I win this possession? How do I win this drive? Yeah. When you play a team like USC, looking too far ahead gets you in serious trouble. Yeah. And that's what Washington State has just to be careful of that they're not doing. But they're looking for their first five and one starts in 2018. There is that motivation. They're going to be in the Coliseum. Yeah. Obviously, hope you know. Hopefully for them, they get a lot of a big group of their own fans there. Hopefully, getting a a nice little turnout for them because yeah. they definitely definitely need it with that that environment at the Coliseum. I mean, you were there last Saturday. It was a yeah. It, it was it was a pretty crazy environment. Like I mean, there's something special about it. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I think like my main thing about. Like, I'm going to talk about the USC offense just kind of here. I think what Caleb Williams needs to realize is you don't need to be the hero of every play, mm-hmm. you know? Lincoln Riley built an offense for you, right, for the team to succeed. Jordan yep. Addison came in. There's no – there like, there's no way the only reason Jordan Addison came in was because of Caleb Williams. There's no way. Right. Must have been the co- coaching culture, this, that. I can go on. Right, they brought in Travis Dye, great running back out of Oregon. You know, they they got so many pieces. Sure. And he's still making these heroic plays, which is still unbelievable to me. Yeah. But I think the main thing that Washington State needs to do is, and you kind of mentioned this, take it like quarter by quarter, possession by possession. You know, Washington State, in a way, and I know it's very crazy to say this, is they they need to change their offensive and defensive game plan from the first half to the second half, right? USC's defense is, and I'm not just saying this because I'm from Southern California and I grew up an SC fan, but they're a very adaptive team, you know? The USC defense allowed negative 13 rushing yards to ASU's rushing game. And in the third quarter, throughout all their games, USC has outscored in the third quarter 55 to 7. Wow. That is an unbelievable number. It's it's in a way unimaginable. You know? Yeah, that is. <laughs> so in a way, you got to realize that here are their guys. Uh, don't throw interceptions because they capitalize every single time. And let's win, 
let's win a ball game. Yeah, that's the big thing for me with a team like Washington State is that kind of controlling the tempo. Like I've been saying before, you know, control the tempo and you'll be fine. It's it's easy to say on radio and it's easy to say in meeting rooms of like, make sure you're playing at your, you know, no one's going to come and, you know, don't make sure you set the tempo. Mm-hmm. But then it's going out and doing it. Like it's a very talented USC team, like we've been saying. And USC is a different animal. They really are this year. And USC, for this reason, had to rebuild their program around the fact that, look, we're going to be competitive. Yeah. And we know we're going to be competitive. So let's go, you know, go get Caleb Williams. Let's go get this talent. So we know we can win. But uh, but for me, it's going to be a lot of it's on Cameron Ward. Yeah. Can Cameron Ward really yeah. strike early? And the linebackers, too. Can they, like, be aggressive and, in a way, like, force turnovers in a way? And I think – in terms of that, you know, it's, I think it is at times, you know, dangerous to do too much. We've seen it, you know, because if you do this, you can give up 60 point games, but the blitz is going to be a big uh, exclamation point for Washington state for me, this game yeah, of sure. getting to Caleb Williams Yeah. of, and it's going to probably take a few sacks to really be able to win this game. Probably take a few fumbles, probably take a turnover, probably force him to throw his only his second pick of the yeah. season. And we're in, we're in week six of college football, I think, which mm-hmm. is crazy. Which is just insane. I mean, that just shows just how good he is, right? Yeah. And, I mean, that's just what good quarterbacks do. But it's going to be a lot of Cameron Ward. Um, I expect freshman safety Jaden Hicks oh, yeah. to really be able to get involved. Yeah. And this a lot of it's like on his shoulders. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But you know, but USC going back to them, obviously so elusive and so dynamic. So if you're going to beat USC, it has to be a full team. Hands down effort. It's going to be a tough game for the uh, Cougars if they can't do that. Yeah, I and my last remark on this upcoming game that is tomorrow. I think the main thing to USC success this year is discipline and coaching. You know, mm-hmm. and this is why is because I've obviously watched USC in the past. I've done this that, and I always used to get so mad during the Clay Helton era. False start, five yards. Next play, uh, some stupid penalty, holding 10 yards, and it'll be penalty after penalty, and they would have like 10 penalties like by the end of, by the, end of the half or something, mm-hmm. right? USC's not like that anymore, you know? They're, they're making all their – they're doing all their assignments. They're creating so little penalties and succeeding in a huge way. Yeah, and get a lot of credit to USC. You know, that's good, good programs do. You're able to – kind of set situation yeah but it's gonna be a fun game to watch obviously going to our next game always a fun matchup when these two teams play yeah oregon ducks and arizona wildcats yeah in tucson at arizona stadium uh there's never a year that this is not a fun matchup yeah uh, for some reason it's always a shootout arizona has always held their own against oregon yeah as a longtime asu fan it's hard to say because but every year you know we've talked about terms like the asu community talk about a lot that I always talk about the win when I talk about U of A. Yeah. And every year they have the win. And every you know, every year they they kind of try to find, you know, even if they have a rough year, they always find a win they a game that they really shouldn't win. That big upset, you know, it used to be Oregon all the time. One year it was Utah, one year, and then it was Oregon again. But Oregon this year is a little different. And I think it all starts the protection. They've only allowed one sack this entire season. Which was in the middle, which is was in the beginning of the Georgia game, in week one, where Georgia got after Bo Nix, but that was just one sack. 
And so when you give Bo Nix that much time, especially with the defense that we've seen from Arizona that is tough at getting pressure and really getting protection, it's going to be really important on your corners and your, and your safeties and your linebackers to make sure they're all on the same page. Maybe you send your linebackers out to the, out to the, to the outside corners and just be like, look, we're not letting you guys get these big plays. So maybe it's not as much as stopping Oregon and trying to shut them out, but how do we just make them use time and how do we just tire them out? Because with the guy can, we've seen with the offensive line of Oregon, maybe the best, in the, maybe arguably the best in the country right now. And I think the question for them, the question for me is how do you really slow them down? And I think for a team like U of A, it's going to be the big question mark, a team that, you know, is giving up, you know, totals of 31, 34 points every game. Yeah. So it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to kind of see how U of A handles it. Yeah. It's going to, it's going to be a tough matchup for sure. And it's going to be the matchup of streak quarterbacks. You know, mm-hmm. it's like if Bo Nix or Jaden Delora have an awful game, they have an awful game. But if they sure. get hot early, I mean, they're like, it's kind of like watching, uh, I don't know, who's who's two good quarterbacks like them, like Justin Herbert and, I don't know. <laughs> and uh, it's always tough to find on the spot, like, oh, uh, who's I, I don't know. Lamar Jackson, there you go. Yeah, Lamar Jackson, there you go. But it's like, it's kind of like watching those two when they're hot, you know? And it's a little bit over overreaction, but that's what we're all about here, you know? But I think what puts Oregon over the edge is that they have the veteran leadership, you know? They have Noah Sewell. They have Chase Cotta, you know? They lost Travis Dye, but they still have a good running back. Yeah. And he's a very small guy like DeAnthony Thomas, but he's very shifty and very fast. Yeah, it's the special. They have that experience that just puts them over the edge. Yeah. And with Arizona right now, I think it's kind of the, you know, I say it a lot with terms like question marks and not really knowing. Arizona is still kind of in a tryout phase. Mm-hmm. Had a very impressive game against Colorado, but Colorado is a struggling team who really can't find their way. Exactly. And so I think this is a good test for Arizona and Jaden Delora to really show where he is offensively with this team. Yeah. And I think they, they took a, a very big stride last week against Colorado, really commanding the offense yeah. and having a good system run around uh, their quarterback. I still, I still believe that U of A is a very on and off team, though. Since yeah, the and, way they play. But, but this is, but I think with U of A this year, maybe this is the win that they pull off. Last second, we'll also get into predictions in the in a few minutes. But you know, maybe this is the game that Jaden Laura really takes it upon himself. Like I'm going to come out here, I'm going to set the tone. If I have to do it myself, I'll do it myself. Mm-hmm. If I have to run for 30 yards just because I need. I need to go out and get it, then I will. Right. I mean, that's, I think that's what it's going to take to be a team like Oregon. But, you know, I think it's also about pressure, about how to get, how, to, how do you get pressure? You know, pressure, pressure, pressure. That's the big thing for me. Of, if you can force that pressure and you can make it uncomfortable, get a few turnovers and make some out of those drives, then, you know, who knows? You might be walking out of Tucson with a victory. Yeah. Possible. It's so, but like I was saying, it's always a fun game when they play. It's going to be a, it's going to be a fun, another fun matchup. Our last game that we'll be talking about, Pac-12 after dark on ESPN, Oregon State going to Palo Alto to play the Stanford Cardinal. Uh, really an interesting matchup. It's, yeah, three and two versus one and three. Yeah. You know, it's going to be on 
eight o'clock. I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be on ESPN, surprisingly. I don't, know, I don't um, know why. To be honest, I'm not sure how many people outside of alumni are going to be yeah. really tuned into this game. You know, I'll, I'll be watching. I watch all the Pac-12 games I can. But Oregon State, you know, last time they beat the Cardinal in Corvallis, you know, was last season. Yeah. And they and they really took it to them, you know, 35-14 victory. Yeah. It also stopped an 11-game losing streak to Stanford. So extremely impressive. But the thing that's impressive for me in Oregon State is they haven't allowed a sack in the last three games. Yeah. And so that protection for, you know, their quarterback and being able to really roll out of the pocket and find plays. And I think a big part of that is also wide receiver, you know, Treshawn Harrison. You know, last game had 24 receptions for 337 yards and uh, five games this year. So he's absolutely commanding the offense. And I think that's exactly what Oregon State needed to find this year. We have to find our consistent guy. Now, who's going to be the guy? And that was the big question coming into the season for Oregon State. Like, can they find a guy that's really going to help command the offense? And I think Treshawn Harrison has been that go-to guy. You know, we see for every team. You have that guy, and I think everyone has it in Madden, too. I always have that guy that can – yeah, that you can rely on. I think it goes, here's the Hopkins or the Zach Ertz or the I, – I just I think I'm just naming Cardinals players. But, <laughs> but you know, but, hey, yeah. It it's, it's the Stanford Cardinal. Yeah, you know, it's a – it is a, it's actually a, it's a good point. I didn't really think about that. That's, yeah. that's, that's pretty funny. But, like, I was, and then going into Stanford, you know, more or less, they are 10-1 and one against Oregon State under head coach David Shaw. So they have that history against the um, – against the Beavers and they are on the 16 home winning streak against Oregon State. Last home loss against them was in 2006. But for Stanford right now, it's about kind of commanding and kind of controlling the tempo. I don't, I just don't see Stanford really controlling the tempo against this Oregon State team. They're a very slow, like, I mean, very slow offense, you know, and very patient. Mm -hmm. But I think what like kind of like shows up the most in my opinion and I'm going to talk about both schools, starting with Oregon State. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they have Trayshawn Harrison with, with monster numbers. But, I mean, yeah. they've really fallen off. Like, I mean, like, people were talking about them as, like, like only, like, they can have, a, like, a seven and five season. And now they're already at three and two, you know? Yeah. So, it's not very likely. But, I mean, I feel like they've just kind of, in a way, fallen off the radar. Like, the defense is not playing as aggressive. Uh, Chance Nolan is making ridiculous reads, which shouldn't be made. I know it's I know it's from his perspective, but still, yeah, it's a bad read. But it's kind of like they've fallen off the place of the year. Yeah, go on to Stanford though. Like ten and one is a very interesting record against Oregon State under David Shaw. Yeah, everything. But what I what I found on Twitter, uh, according to PFF College. Pac-12 QBs with the highest passing grades this season. Tanner McKee, who's a Stanford quarterback, 81.5. He is the second quarterback in this whole list out of 12. The Mm. first is obviously Caleb Williams. Yeah. So I think that this kind of takes Stanford over the edge a little bit. Yeah. You know, it's like you got an accurate quarterback versus an inaccurate quarterback. Mm. And David Shaw knows the Oregon State system well since he is 10 and 1 against them. That's right? true. So it'd be interesting to match them and see kind of how yeah. these two teams really kind of build off each other. It's going to be a more like, you know, uh, I answer, you answer, I answer, you answer. Yeah. You know, it's going to be like it's going to be a very tight game. I don't see, I don't really see a team really taking over, you know. And yeah, granted, I don't exactly. think it's going to end in a Hail Mary, but 
no, give me some no. games. But I think with that, we can go into our predictions for this week. Mm-hmm. I want to make sure we can start keeping track of uh, who we pick and see if we have any yeah. success. So let's start with number 11, Utah. At number 18, UCLA. Kenji, who do you have in this game? I think I think I have I think I have Utah in this one. Mm-hmm. I think I think that Utah is just the better team overall, and um, I don't I don't think UCLA beats the defense if they play the way they think they should play. You know, I have Utah as well in this one. I just don't mm-hmm. you know, that that Utah offense is just so dynamic, and it can hurt you in so many ways. And so I think with the UCLA defense has really not been able to control the line of scrimmage. So it's going to be tough for UCLA really to control them. So it's going to be a interesting matchup going to that one. The uh, Our next matchup, number 21, Washington at Arizona State tomorrow afternoon at Sunnibal Stadium. Mm-hmm. See already on here that you have the Washington Huskies. I do. I think that the players that we've mentioned, they're very dominant at what they do. They're not the best, but they're dominant at what they do. And they're going to abuse what ASU struggles at. Mm-hmm. It's as simple as that. Right. I have. I actually have upset alert. Upset alert. I really do. I. Uh, <laughs> this is not just my bias. It, I mean, maybe it is a little bit, but I do have ASU winning this one, mm-hmm. only because of the strides that they were able to take against USC. Yeah. And the fact that they can be able to, if they can build off those really good improvements from last week. And they can go out and they can pull off a win, but it's going to take everything they have. But I think a coach, Coach Sean Aguano, is extremely desperate for his first win. He's going to have the guys ready. It's going to be a hopefully a nice day at Sunnival Stadium, out there in the student section, not too hot for a 80 degree afternoon day at, in Tempe, Arizona. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a lot more nice when we had all that that uh, shade with the stadium until all the uh, the amenities came along. Granted, I like the amenities, but it makes it a lot more uh, warm at Sunnival Stadium. But I do have the upset alert. Not exactly rushing the field. But uh, that would be crazy. But uh, you guys rush the field. that'd be a little, that'd be a little sad. ASU students, they're only 21st in the country. It's, yeah. <laughs> let's, let's hold it, let's hold ourselves back here. Yeah. But as we go into our next game, Washington State Cougars at USC at the Coliseum, who do we have? I think because of the halftime adjustments that I talked about, USC's explosive offense, I think they're number six for the, for the right reason. I gotta go USC, you know, I am right there with you mm-hmm. at the end of the day when it really comes down to the nitty gritty. USC is just too good. Yeah. And, and you and USC just has too much firepower yeah. for a team like Washington State. Granted, a team that's on the rise, but not exactly there yet. And so I don't have I just don't see them really holding in the, holding their own with uh USC. I have USC pulling away big on this one. I think Washington State tries to keep it close, but I mean, at the end of the day, USC is USC, and they can really take it to them. I just know that USC is going to score 40 points. That's, that's probably true. If yeah. Caleb Williams has anything to do with it, I, I, I can see it happen. Yeah. Uh, number 12, Oregon at Arizona at Arizona Stadium in Tucson. Who do we have for this matchup? I got Oregon. I Like, so far, I have no upset so far. I thought I would have with the Utah-UCLA. But so far, I have none. I, I try think. to, yeah, I try to put in a fun upset every every now and then. I, I've yeah. ASU beaten Washington, but I just don't see a team like U of A really really getting to Bo Nix. Yeah. That's the big question for me. Can you get to Bo Nix? I really, I just don't think they can. I don't think their defense is in position right now to do it. So I do have Oregon. I think I think Arizona tries to keep it competitive, but mm-hmm. you know, I guess you know, see what happens. Then our last game we'll predict is Oregon State at Stanford in Palo Alto. So who do we have? I kind of forgot this is at 
Stanford, not in Corvallis. So I actually have the upset here, technically. Stanford. Um, I think this is going to, like, and this is going to be my last remark here. I think this is going to be a matchup of a quarterback that is known to be a pocket passer versus a quarterback that's trying to prove himself. That's going to be the matchup for mm -hmm. this game right here. I guess maybe not exactly the upset. I have, I have Oregon State on this one. Okay. And I'll tell you why. It's because of protection. They haven't allowed a sack in the last three games. Mm -hmm. Stanford has not been able to get the quarterback all year. Exactly. It's a dangerous combination for the Oregon State. If you give them time, you can find receivers like Treshawn Harrison. Now you can really pull up the score and really get it out of hand pretty easily. Mm -hmm. It depends on really who is able to step up in that situation. Exactly. But at the end of the day, that's really what I'm depending on. And I think Oregon State's going to be able to do that. It's going to be a really fun game. But Away from that, any closing remarks going into this week, yeah. this week six of Pac-12 football? Uh, all I can say is that Oregon uh, clean uniforms this week with the uh, uh, white with black dots on it. It is nice. Hey, Oregon always bringing the always bringing the heat. Always bringing the heat. It's sometimes it's a little. Yeah. I always that was a little too much when I was growing up, but hey, yeah. it's ASU hey. not so much. I'm not a big fan of those uniforms. Yeah, the the sand copper sunset. Ah, just go back to maroon and gold. Yeah, please. I mean. For us fans, that'd be fantastic. Yeah. And but I think Utah has the all black this week. Utah has very nice uniforms. Give it to Utah. They always do a very good job with their uniforms. Yeah, exactly. But with that being said, that is all from us here on Blaze Radio, Blaze Radio Online. You have been listening to Packed Up, your home for everything Pac-12 news, sports, entertainment. My name is Jacob Jones here with my co-host, Kenji, Kenji Ito. We, th <laughs> we thank you so much for tuning in. We hope you tune in next week for another exciting episode of Packed Up, but until then, enjoy this college ball week six matchup, and we'll see you later.